Thank you to the children's choirs as well for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, it's, it's pretty nerve-wracking as a parent uh, seeing your kid, hoping they behave and how they don't behave all the time. Uh, but it's, it's amazing to hear them singing words of truth and words of scripture. So uh, Carol and Lisa and others who invested in them, thank you so much for the, the work that you've done with our, our kids. My kids were standing in the kitchen this morning seeing Stand Strong in the Word and practicing their, their songs. So uh, we really appreciate all the work that you've done with them. Last week was such a sweet time of worship here at Woodmont. Uh, it was a really special uh, day. Got to dedicate baby Lucas Tarr and his parents, Chris and Sarah, to the congregation, and you guys dedicated yourselves to them. That was a precious opportunity. The choir sang that powerful anthem that we are the church, and we closed our series on Be the Church last week. Also last week, Nate Burbank began the whole thing with this nine-minute epic uh, organ concerto. It ended on this amazing minor chord. I was, I was really fired up uh, after that. Thank you, Nate. And I, I've heard more than one person talk about the sweet spirit that they sense in this place. And I sense it too. And I'm just grateful to, to be a part of it during this season. So Carlton asked me last uh, night at Room in the Inn, are you starting a new series today? I said, no. Today's going to be a, a one-off sermon. Uh, but then the next two weeks, we're going to talk about being grateful. We'll do a little two-week sermon, this series, on being grateful for our present and for our future as well. And then we hit Advent. Can you believe that Advent is only three weeks away? And we're going to, I'm really excited about our Advent series. It's going to be called, What Child Is This? And it's going to look at different approaches to who Christ is based in Scripture and based in our world. Who do we say Jesus is? The question that Jesus Christ asked Peter, who do you say that I am? But today, I want to talk about something that many of us Baptists never heard about growing up in a, a good Baptist church. But I want to help us be a part of the broader conversation of Christianity around the world. I want us to leave this place today knowing that Woodmont is a part of something much bigger than just Woodmont. That we're bigger than just Baptists. That we're bigger than just uh, Tennessee Baptists. That we are the church universal around the world. We are the saints of this world. That's what I want to focus on today. And this last week in the life of the church universal was a very important week. Not just because of all the fall fests that various churches put on, and not because of Halloween either. There's a lot of history in the life of the church, isn't there? Just a warning, this, this sermon's going to have a lot of history in it, okay? So, Marcus, I know you stayed up all night with Room in the Inn. This is going to put you to sleep, I apologize. But I think it's important to know if we believe that God truly acts in history, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is actually involved in our world, then it's important to look back and realize what God's done in order to better know what God is going to do, right? It's also important to realize that we, Woodmont, stand on the shoulders of all the saints who've gone before us. That's why we have a history in archives, or heritage room, sorry, it's the heritage room now, right? Woodmont celebrates their history well. I think that's important to do in order to inform the future. So this morning we're going to look back at some history, and yes, Halloween is a part of that history in the church's life. Did you know that hallow means holy, right? So Halloween used to be referred to as All Hallows Eve, 
because it was the day before All Hallows Day or All Saints Day. The word saints, we sang this morning for all the saints, in the Greek New Testament, it's hagios. It literally means holy ones, the holies, the ones who've been set apart and consecrated for God's service to be the conduit of God's blessing into the world, to be his own people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Halloween, when, what I knew of Halloween growing up pretty much was limited to what I learned as a kid. And, and some of you may not have celebrated Halloween. You may be really opposed to it. I totally get that. I understand that. And I respect that completely. But for me as a kid growing up, if you, if you went out to here to Hillsborough Road and took a right and went 20 miles south, you end up at a little neighborhood called Heath Place at Carton. That's where I grew up. And Heath Place was an awesome neighborhood for Halloween. It was incredible. Every house, it seemed, gave out candy. There was one or two that didn't, and we couldn't understand why they wouldn't. And, and not only did they hand out candy, but many of the houses got really into it and decorated their, their house in crazy ways. There was one guy who would always scare kids. He'd sit on his porch and jump out. And there was one house that had uh, electronic hands that came out of the ground. It was terrifying as a kid, but uh, I grew to love it. It was a fun night for me and my friends to go out and trick-or-treating. And it wasn't really until college that I learned some of the history behind All Hallows' Eve, Halloween. Early on in, in the life of the, the church, we know that they've been celebrating All Hallows' Day, All Saints' Day, since the 700s. Over 1,300 years, the Christian church has celebrated All Saints' Day. And yet many of us have never heard of this. We sang that beautiful hymn for all the saints earlier today. That, that's, I, I love that song. It's the school hymn of Beeson Divinity School where I got my master's. We sang in, in verse 3 there, O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia. Alleluia. What we celebrate on All Saints Day is the fact that we all are part of this divine fellowship. We celebrate what the old Apostles' Creed calls the communion of saints. That we, as God's people, are a part of the church universal, past, present, and future. At Beeson Divinity School, where I, I went for seminary, in the, the chapel there's a great dome. And if you look up in the dome, there's paintings all in the dome, and there's 16 saints. And when I say saints, I mean great figures of the church. And Charles Spurgeon is the one that faces the pulpit. How intimidating is that when you preach at Beeson? And then you have people like Perpetua, who is a, a martyr for her faith. And then up in the middle of the dome, there's the great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about. It's literally some clouds with faces of people all in the cloud. And it reminds us as we worship that the great hosts of heaven, the saints who've gone on before us, are, are present with us. They're cheering us on, that they are for us, that they are, are looking from heaven and encouraging us as the church to continue to be the church. So All Saints Day is an important day for the church to remember that we are a part of the communion of saints. But something happened in the Middle Ages, as tends to happen, the church became more powerful and, and it corrupts when things get powerful, right? And so All Saints Day morphed into this feast day 
were only the sacred, venerated saints of the Catholic Church who were officially sainted were celebrated. And for the rest of the common folk, we were seen to understand that these were the superheroes of the faith, that these saints walked about two inches off the ground and that we would never be like them. So we prayed to them on our behalf. We had patron saints who were over different things, the harvest, health, all those things. And we realized, oh, we're not saints. We're just the common folk. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because that's not what Scripture says. So there was a much-needed corrective to the church in a lot of ways. And this is why on October 31st in 1517, 499 years ago last week, a young Augustinian monk named Dr. Martin Luther went to the door at the cathedral church in Wittenberg and he nailed 95 theses to that door. These 95 theses were propositional truths about why the, the practices of the Catholic Church at that time were so wrong, why they were so unbiblical and ungodly and unpleasing to the kingdom. And particularly, he had in mind this idea of indulgences. Indulgences is a word for kindnesses. You see, the, the Catholic Church was in the middle of a building campaign. You ever been a part of a building campaign? Yeah? They were building their, their great cathedral in Rome, St. Peter's Basilica. Who's ever seen St. Peter's Basilica? It still stands today. In order to fund such a massive building project, Pope Leo X in 1515 came up with a great idea for raising some funds. He decided that you could sell kindnesses to people in order to get their loved ones, their relatives, out of punishment in purgatory. If you would purchase monetarily an indulgence, then you could officially have the Pope absolve your loved one of the punishment that is due them for their sins. And of course, they wanted to see their loved ones not get punished. So they would sell these indulgences. And maybe the worst part is not the sale of indulgences. Maybe the worst part is, is torturing people with this idea of your loved ones are being tormented and punished right now, huh? That may be worse even than, than selling indulgences. But Martin Luther was a professor of the Bible. He knew the Bible in Greek and in Hebrew. And he knew these practices were wrong. He knew that proper theology said this is not right or good. So he put these 95 theses on the door as a corrective for the church that they needed desperately. And his act of rebellion, that All Hallows Eve in 1517, is widely regarded as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. For the next four years, Luther would hash out these correctives for the church. He focused on the supremacy of God's Word, the sufficiency of Scripture to reveal to us what God wants to reveal to us himself, his truth, his ways are found in scripture apart from the practices and the teachings of the church. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone from the, the, the church. These were the emphasis that Luther gave to the church during this time. And later theologians would add two more. They would say in Christ alone and to the glory of God alone. These five alone statements are known as the five solas, the Latin term for these. Sola scriptura, that scripture alone is sufficient to show us God's will and God's way through the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Sola fide and sola gratia, those together mean that we are saved and justified before God by faith alone and through grace alone, right? We are saved through faith by grace, by grace through faith. These are important uh, from Ephesians 2 ideas that Luther put to the, the front of the Catholic Church. Solus Christus, that our hope is found in Christ alone, not in elected officials. That's important to remember this week. And soli Deo Gloria, that's the motto of Beeson. It's all to the glory of God alone. God is glorifying himself through all of this. Listen for these themes in our text in Ephesians 1 this morning. You see, these were really foreign concepts to most people in the medieval times because they were not professors of the Bible. They didn't have the Bible available to them in their vernacular, in their language. Martin Luther spent years translating the whole Bible into German so that all of his country people could read it for themselves because Scripture is that powerful and that transforming, isn't it? It, It's a normative feature for the church that shows us the ways of God. So if, if these people could read Ephesians 1, they would know that on All Saints Day, it's, it's not the, the superheroes of the faith that we should be venerating, it's each other that we should be celebrating on All Saints Day as the people of God. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 1, for example. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Who is Paul writing to here? Is he writing to St. Perpetua and only the superheroes of the Christian faith? No. He's writing to all the believers who are in Ephesus, who he calls saints. Holy Scripture is clear that if you are a part of the people of God, you are a saint. So I ask, if I ask you today, are you a sinner? Or are you a saint? We asked this question at Simple Worship a couple weeks ago when we were starting the Ephesians study, and almost everyone said sinner, absolutely. Well, there's two problems with seeing yourself as a sinner primarily. Number one is that if you see yourself primarily as a sinner, you are more prone to act like a sinner, right? If your identity is that I'm a horrible person, you are more apt to do horrible things, right? The second problem is that it's not reality. Right? We're defying Scripture. If Scripture says you are holy and you are a saint and you are set apart now for God's glory and you've been washed clean by the atoning blood of the Lamb, then you are no longer seen by God as a sinner, but you are seen as a precious child who is clean and holy now. That's the reality. And when we see ourselves that way, we're much more prone to acting like a saint, aren't we? If we understand that our identity primarily now is that we are saints and not sinners. And all this happens through Christ, right? That's, that's his point, in Christ, the, who are faithful in Christ, he says in verse 1. Let's look at our text this morning in verse 11 and see if you can't see some more of this idea fleshed out. It says in verse 11, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an, an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That 
inheritance that we've received now comes through our faith in Christ by grace alone, right? It says that we get a glorious inheritance because God chose us to be the conduit of his blessing before the world even began. We were a part of his plan for the world. This should bring us great comfort, knowing that nothing can snatch God's holy people out of his hand, that he holds us because he chose us and he loves us, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, for those who are in Christ Jesus, if the people of Wittenberg knew this, then they wouldn't want to buy indulgences in the first place, because they would know that God holds them fast and their loved ones fast to his own self. And it's all to the glory of God, it says here, to the praise of his glory. The saints exist solely Deo Gloria. We're here for the glory of God alone. Keep reading verses 13 and 14. In him, there's that phrase again, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Once again, soli deo gloria. God seals his holy ones, his saints, marking us as his own with the seal of the Holy Spirit who indwells us now. The Holy Spirit protects and preserves the saints until we receive our final inheritance at the day of his coming. Again, it's all to the glory of God. Verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see, Paul loves the saints the way God loves the saints. He's got a soft spot for the church. A lot of us, (laughs) I say us, have witnessed messiness in church, right? Maybe you're a little jaded about church today. That's okay. You can come to God and say that, right? Church is not perfect because it's made of imperfect people. So the attitude that Paul has here is that he loves the church and he gives thanks for the church and he prays for them. Andy Morris and I were discussing a book that one of his friends had written uh, this week, and, and the, the book is something about how you can love Jesus. If you, if you love Jesus but hate the church, then you, the, the idea is you should just quit going to church. But the obvious problem with loving Jesus and hating the church is that you can't love Jesus without loving his body, right? You can't divorce those two things because the church is the body of Christ. We just spent a whole month talking about that, right? And and I know the church is full of problems, but the idea here in Scripture is that the saints are God's treasured, beloved possession. Do you love the church the way God does today? I'm convicted. uh, Maybe you are today as well. During this period of of Woodmont's life, my prayer is that we would have discernment and know what's next for us. Look what Paul prays for them in verse 17. Verse 17, he prays for these people that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what we need, isn't it? To to know God and to be revealed what his plan is for the next 75 years of Woodmont's life. 
we're praying that the Spirit would, who indwells us would reveal God to us so we can get on board with what he's up to in Green Hills and beyond. And Paul also prays that the saints would know, that they would comprehend, that they would understand the truth of God's amazing blessings to them. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Here Paul prays that the saints would know three things specifically about these amazing blessings that God has given them through Jesus Christ. First, he prays that we would know the hope to which God has called us. The hope that this world is not our home. That this, this hard life is not all there is to it that this is not the end, that death even is not the end, because we have nothing to fear because Christ has defeated death. He has overcome this world. He has given us his peace. That's the hope that we have as Christians now. We therefore have nothing to fear in a crazy presidential election season because we know that he's already won the victory, Jesus Christ. Second, he prays that we would know the riches of God's gifts to us, we all tend to focus on the material things in this world, the here and now kind of stuff in our lives, but if we stop and realize that we have a wealth, an inheritance of blessings in Jesus Christ, then it would blow our minds that if we could understand that we have a living relationship with God Almighty who indwells us and walks with us through this life, it would change the way we view things. The third thing he prays for is that we'll understand the power that God gives the saints. The, the Bible says that we've been given a spirit not of fear and timidity, but one of power and of love and of self-control. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in us today. And Paul finishes this section by lifting high the name of Jesus Christ who makes it all possible. Look at verse 21. It says that when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him on his heavenly throne, it was far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see that the, the people of Ephesus, the citizens in this town, were pagans, and they were obsessed with these demonic powers, and they tried to manipulate the powers around them in order to make their lives better. So they would offer sacrifices, they would try to give the right blessings, say the right prayers in order to manipulate the powers. Paul makes it clear here that Jesus Christ is the power above all powers, that he is the name above all all names. That he is the one who is also the head of the saints, his body, the church. For us, our head is not whoever gets elected on Tuesday. Our head is Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Let's not forget that. So maybe today you've, you've been going through this life feeling defeated. Maybe you feel beat down. Maybe you feel alone. 
lonely today? Well, well, first, if you're a Christian, you're not alone. You are a part of a great communion of saints. You are a part of the body of Christ around the world throughout space and time. That's an important hope in that. That we will shine forth someday like the saints in glory shine today in the great cloud of witnesses that we will join someday. There is great power and comfort in that, isn't it? To know that we are on a team, that Christian life is a team sport, and that we have the ultimate head, Jesus Christ, as our leader. Let's not forget that. You know, Martin Luther didn't only write theology, he also wrote songs. His best known uh, hymn is Eine Feste Borg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have joined us to the great body of saints throughout time and space. God, we thank you for Martin Luther and his legacy that we now enjoy, where we celebrate the fact that you have saved us by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. God, we pray this morning that you would help us to love the church like you love it. God, forgive us when we contribute to the messiness of church. Help us to be peacemakers everywhere we go, especially in the church. May we be the body that you designed us to be, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, set apart and made holy for you and for your glory. God, we, we pray this morning that you would remind us that you are in control, that you exist above all earthly powers, and that you will win the battle. Remind us again that you are our head, you are our leader, you are our chief. Help us to surrender everything to you, let go of this mortal life, so that we realize the spirit and the gifts that are ours 
as we go forth to live as the saints in this fallen world, remembering that one day you will win the battle. It's already sure that Satan's doom is sure. God, we thank you for that hope that we have in you. We pray this morning that any of us who have rejected the church at times, any of us who have uh, stood against the church, that we would repent, that we would come to you this morning and say we want to love the saints like you love them. A lot of people I know, God, have been hurt by church. God, we repent of the hurt that we've caused in church. God, we ask that you would help Woodmont to be a healthy place for you and for your kingdom that seeks to do your will in Green Hills and beyond. We thank you for your word that enables us to do that rightly. We thank you for grace that we show each other and that has been shown to us, not only by you, but by the saints in this place. Lord, we love you and we thank you again for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.